Sound okay? Yep. Welcome into another episode of Crunch Time. I'm your host, Joe Hamilton, alongside Theo the Juggernaut. Again, I love that name. I will, will always love that name. Theo, how you doing, man? Good, Joe. How are you, man? Good to see you again. A little, uh, um, how do I say it? Mixed emotions today on this uh, wonderful Tuesday, the last day of January. But uh, nonetheless, lots of good sports action to chat about, especially last night. Sorry, Joe. Uh, Got to rub that in a little bit. No, Theo, that that's that's just fucking disturbing. You're up two nothing, and, and and let's just get into that. That's disturbing. Want to go there first, sure. Yeah, you're you're up two nothing, and you give up that game. That Jordan you know, Bennington wasn't about giving up. That no, game. no, hold, hold on, hold on. Jordan Bennington stood on his head mm-hmm. for most of that game, and you can't blame Jordan Bennington for that game because. When you're giving the Jets grade A scoring chance after grade A scoring chance after grade A scoring chance, they're going to go in once in a while. And they did last night. Justin Falk became one of the biggest goats in that game. I'm not talking greatest of all time either. Uh, that that turnover in his own zone really pissed me off. Uh, you knew that was going to end up in the back of the net. You cannot do that. And it's not like the young guys are making the uh, – are making the mistakes. The young guys scored the goals last night, which is a good sign. You don't need a complete rebuild on this team. You just need a defensive rebuild. This is so bad defensively right now, Theo. Um, you had a, you had a. There were a couple times. Good. There were a couple times when Callie Rosen got caught a two on one where not many goalies stopped that. Bennington goes from one side to the other. I'm sure you saw all this, Theo. I mean, were you impressed with Jordan Bennington last night? You know what? It was one of those things, like, just on Jordan Bennington alone. Here, a guy that's gone 0-3 with a sub-840 save percentage in the three previous losses. I mean, it was like he was possessed for the first 40 minutes of that game. He was a brick wall. He was un, He was tested from every angle. From every type of shot, power plays, four-minute power plays, uh, you know, he stood on his head without question. Jordan Bennington was the first star of that game in the first 40 minutes, hands down. Uh, there was, I mean, the Winnipeg Jets came out and they, they if Jordan Bennington was possessed, the Winnipeg Jets were determined. And it was going to take many men moving this mountain to do everything in way, shape, or form they could to get a W. And they, they had it. You know, St. Louis certainly had it. You know, Jake Neighbors scoring that goal on, on that stretch pass from Tory Craig was a very nice move. The second goal, yeah. I mean, to a defenseman, I never understood why. Def- I, maybe defensemen are just attracted to making stupid plays like that and not thinking properly. But... Listening to Dave Reed on NHL Network explain the stupidity of a defenseman doing what Copa Bianco did in that second goal for St. Louis is exactly right. When have you ever seen a shooter score from 85 feet away, especially on the side boards? Like, let the goalie have that shot. Take the guy that potentially, like, it's the same thing on a two-on-one. Take away the pass, but you didn't take away the pass. And it made a 2 nothing game. 
yes, St. Louis was in the driver's seat. The only thing was they took their foot off the gas pedal. Some, you know, it was a game of costly mistakes. You know, Winnipeg Jets made two very costly mistakes at the beginning, or for both of those goals, rather. I mean, it was a pinch on the first goal on Morrissey's. Second one was a cough up by Falk, like you said. I mean, it was a bing, bang, boom play between three really good offensive forwards for Winnipeg. You know, they realigned Connor, Shifley, and Ehlers on that second goal. Third goal was off a shin pad of Shen, so it's unlucky bounce. And the fourth one was an empty netter. But, you know, the whole the TSN turning point of that was your boy Falk not getting called for a penalty on a slash on Nick Ehlers. I don't know if you saw that or not, Joey. They might have put that up on a couple of replays, but he's he's making a stop at the center line. And Falk slashes Ehlers. You can and say like, what you want on that, Theo, but you know what should uh, should have been called? I forget the penalty. I, I know what the penalty was. But there was a penalty on Barbashev, I believe. I think it was the slash or I think it was the hook or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it was it the was slash. It was on the blue line. It was on the it blue was, line. It was, you know, if you did it once for like a split uh, second, fine. Theo, but he Theo. continued the penalty. And it, Ruby was mad as fuck. No, and I don't, I don't blame them. But the thing is, Theo, there should be embellishment there. There should be an embellishment on that play. I don't care. On what, the jet? Yes. Well, there should be an embellishment. Just looking at that play, Theo. Okay, so I'm, so Pierre Don't think he's a Jets fan. The line. Okay. The slash happens. Then a second slash happens. Well, there was there were two. There were, the sticks were together. Right. If anything, they, they were entwined together there should have been at least an embellishment call on okay, that so too. the sticks get intertwined for the first couple of seconds but joe in any single replay of any single hook or any single trip you see when that stick becomes parallel to the ground and gets caught up in someone else, in the opposing player's gloves that hand goes up and that's where the penalty was called it wasn't slash one it wasn't the tangling of the sticks it was the fact that barbershev's stick was still involved in the play and it was parallel to the ice in Pionk's gloves. That stops a player from getting into a position of offense. Hand goes up. Penalty is called. I, I, that's like me saying to me, um, miss, missing a cross check in front of the net. Talk about your boy Colton Pareko. His penalty shouldn't have been a penalty. I agree with Bruby. He moved Perfetti out of the way. Legally. You know, it's not Pareko's fault that... Perfetti is like 5'10 and a buck 60 soaking wet. You know, like he moved that little mole out of the way. You've, you and I have said over the time we need to see Pareko be more physical. Well, here's the scenario he gets physical, he gets called for a penalty, and then he's told that if basically by the gestures of the officiating crew that if he continues to do that, he's going to get more penalties. Well, that's why Pareko stops being physical, right? And yeah. that's where, mm-hmm. and that's and that's the issue there. He didn't have a bad game. He just got called on a penalty that probably shouldn't have been called. But your boy Falk was the one that you know basically made that a two-two game, and that's when you know two goals within twenty-one seconds, and the Jets take the lead. You know that's where you take a very fragile team that has now lost five in a row, thinking that they're going to go in and get at least a, you know a point out of this to being down 3-2 and not having the confidence to come back. Not having O'Reilly and Thomas in the lineup certainly hurt. I mean, 
yeah, Tarasenko still has wheels. He still has the, you know, he the blood pressure rises when he has the puck coming into the offensive zone. But it's a one shot and done. Apparently, yeah, team. and apparently the radio announcer for the St. Louis Blues, Chris Gerber, I don't know if you know this, know him, but he blasts Kyrou in the postgame. I mean, absolutely he was, blast Jordan Kyrou. He didn't have any drive to the net. I didn't see Kyrou. He, he wasn't getting dirty. He's not. Maybe he's not that kind of player today. But if he's going to be a veteran on this team, and he's got to go to where the puck is, and he can't shy away from it. And a lot of what Hellebuck did, his the two goals that he got beaten on were basically breakaways. And... I want to say 95% of the shots that he faced, he saw. There was very little traffic in front of Connor Hellebuck. That's that's the story of the freaking season for the Blues. They they can't get anybody in front of the net. They refuse to get anybody in front of the front of the net. They just think they're going to score NHL 23 highlight goals and that's not going to happen, okay? No. I'm well, sorry to bring video games into this. No, but that's the way this team's trying to score right now. This team isn't. This team isn't uh, running amok um, in front of in front of the opposing net. They're not even getting guys out of their the uh, front of their own net. I mean, was, that's. Yeah. It was it was a very tense forty minutes of hockey for Winnipeg fans in the in the arena. It was we we were sitting on the edge of our seats saying, "When is this going to happen? When are we going to bust through?" When it, what is it going to take to beat Jordan Bennington tonight? You know, was it going to be a Rex Ryan scenario that you got to run the quarterback and you got to take a penalty for it to get Jordan Bennington out of the net? I don't know, but thankfully no. it was only a quick shot by Morrissey to the far side to break the zero. If you notice this year, Theo, people run Bennington or not run Bennington, but bump into him, and it's not called. But no. yet we bump into their goalie. Oh, it's going to be called right away. You yeah. know that that. That shit gets annoying too. I'm it was sorry. A fragile team in St. Louis who played extremely well for 40 minutes of that game. Their game plan was working to a T. Uh, you know, stay solid on the defensive side, keep the puck to the outside of the net. When we see opportunity for Winnipeg when they make mistakes, jump on it and go on the offense, which they did twice. You know, it was a two, it was. For I want to say for like over 40 minutes of that game, Winnipeg was in trouble. And, you know, I'm not going to say that, you know, Winnipeg only played half a period because they didn't. They really, you saw the game, Joe. They were out playing St. Louis. They outshot them once in the second period, 12 to 1 in the first part of that second period. And if it wasn't for Jordan Bennington, it would be 3 4 nothing after 2, you know. Jake Neighbors wouldn't have gotten that breakaway goal. It would have been a, It would have been an onslaught. But it wasn't, and it was a really good game, uh, you know, to see from the perspective of two teams battling it out, both being on losing streaks. Yeah, so the Blues have a week and a half off now. Um, As do the Jets, yeah, February 11th. The the Blues don't play until, yeah, February 11th, uh, Saturday night against the Arizona Coyotes. And they need to come back refreshed. I think you'll get uh, Buchnevich back by then. I think you'll get O'Reilly back by then. I would hope, anyway. Um, maybe Scandella, maybe Prunovich. I don't know. 
but maybe you get a couple of those guys back. Now the deadline, let's talk about this real quick. The Blues don't need a complete rebuild. There is talent on this team, okay? The one part of this team that needs rebuilding is that horrible defense. Or, or, and I, I kind of messaged you about what I wanted to talk about. What the hell is the system with this team? Sometimes they don't even know where to be in every zone of the ice. And I'm wondering to myself, do you, do you, did they stop listening to Craig Berube? Are they just playing in spite of him? What what are they doing at this point? That Joe, that's a really good question because we've, we've touched two glaring issues that the St. Louis Blues showed last night. The lack of confidence and their lack of drive to be in front of the net. And both of those are two things that Craig Bruby had two, three years ago. You know, you had players that wanted to drive to the net. You had players go to the dirty spots. You had players being removed from their own front of the net, their own dirty spots. But right now, like, this team has gone, started on three games, and then we know down eight, up seven, losing, winning seven, losing seven of nine. They're going up and down, up and down, up and down to the point that they're two games below 500. They've lost five in a row. The con- This is probably the best time for the St. Louis Blues to have a week and a half off. The only bad part about it is they couldn't have 10 days off knowing that they won their last game. You know, if they played one more game before the All-Star break for a chance to beat Arizona before the All-Star, it probably would feel a whole lot better. But this team isn't confident going into a 10-day, 11-day break. You know, it's not – that doesn't help the psyche out very much. And, you know, those two, the confidence and the drive to the net are two things that are lacking in this system that you talk that is non-existent right now with St. Louis. Yeah, so it'll be very interesting what goes on, you know – after the All-Star break and the deadline March, what is that, March 6th Something deadline? Like that. You yeah. have to look, what Saint, what the organization has to look at, I think, is this. You know, where are we at right now? We're sitting in 6th or 7th of the Central. And what are our chances of, do we we go into the playoffs as an 8, a wild card? Or are we trying to get some chips for guys that are going to be RFA, UFA guys next year and not necessarily tank but not necessarily fully rebuild but what are we going to do like what's our best strategy moving forward as an organization and let's be honest the big question is going to be craig ruby is he going to be a back next year is he a guy that's going to be able to control and bring this locker room around and if he's not back i don't think he'll be fired i think he resigns that's what? the only. He, I think he resigns if he doesn't come back. He oh. he ain't gonna. He isn't gonna freaking get fired, because this isn't his fault. Well, let's just say that he. Okay, so is he going to be coaching next year? Let's put it that way. Well, his choice or their choice? Well, in my mind, I think so. You know, I just brought up the whole resigning thing because I don't think he gets fired. If he even leaves, it's going to be because he resigns. But I think he's back next year. I think you need to get rid of Craig McTavish. I don't know why the Blues hired this guy. I, I don't know why the Blues hired this guy. I don't know who's running the power play in terms of coaching. Um, it, 
I mean, how does this power play go from where it was last year to this year? I've had this conversation with you how many times on this show? Yeah, yeah I don't know. It's it's complacency. I mean, you know, it's it's about taking a group of five and making sure that or telling them, hey, you have to be creative. It's not about one more pass. It's not about the path. Not about the perfect pass. It's about what is what is the strategy for the five of you on the ice? Yeah, it, they don't a, have it right now. They I mean, don't. Their one power play goal, Joe. Before we go to the next topic, was a stretch pass from Krug to Neighbors, catching the Jets on a change, and both Jets defensemen thinking it's offside, stopping the skate and putting their hands up, acting like referees instead of like hockey players. If they would have put any pressure on Jake Neighbors, we won't we won't know the outcome. If they would have played like hockey players instead of sticking their hands up like officials, maybe Neighbors gets pressured and doesn't make that move. Granted, it was a beautiful move, but we don't know. Jake Neighbors puts the puck in the net and it's one nothing on a power play goal on a stretch pass. Nothing set up in the zone whatsoever. Yeah, that tells you how bad this power play has been. You know, it, it takes a damn stretch pass for that to even work. Um Getting off that, because we could talk about that shitty subject for like an hour, but let's not. Um, the Super Bowl is set, and I, I'm critical of NFL officiating. I am. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, there was there were a couple times in that Chiefs game where I wanted to throttle a referee. Like, are you kidding me? I'm not saying... Uh, the Bengals would have won that game because, yeah, they screwed themselves with that um, late hit toward the end of the game. Okay, so but, before, but, before you go to that, Joe, if you say officiating didn't screw that game, did you see how hard that Cincinnati Bengal defender hit Patrick Mahomes outside off the outside of play for that last penalty? Did you see how hard he hit him? No, I wasn't talking about that play. There were other plays in that game. That should have been a I'm penalty. I'm talking about that specific play. If you're talking about the I get that. Over the course of that game, I'm not going to say Patrick Mahomes got a call and the Kansas City Chiefs got a call. I'm just saying for a late hit, that was pretty soft of a late hit. Yeah, mm, I would say so. But but he was out of bounds. But he was out of bounds, Theo. He was out of bounds. So you can't touch anyone out of bounds. So... I just think that that whole game, not the whole game, but there were definitely points there where I questioned the officiating. Like, you know, I know how loud it is at, at uh, Arrowhead Stadium. I get that. But how can you not hear the whistle? How do you give Kansas City another third down once the f- when the fourth down is yeah. about to be played? To me, that's suspect. That was that was a very questionable move, I think, by the officials. Yeah, that that one's up there. Yeah. So you agree with me? I, I'm saying it's something that uh, I mean. There's a reason why we use a whistle instead of officials yelling. Hey, I mean, a whistle sound is very piercing. It's very distinct. It puts everybody on alert. That's why they use whistles in traffic. They use the whistles in other sporting events. They use whistles because when you blow a whistle. You hear it. It's a different sound than a crowd roar. I think it's what you're trying to get at. And yeah, it's, a, it's one of those things that shouldn't have happened, I think. You know, just, I, I'm not going to say I don't agree with you, but you know, it's just, it just seemed that a lot of those calls 
were not in favor of one team, but to say that it was a fair right down the middle scenario, I think the calls that were made were made at a specific time to show that a team had a little bit more opportunity than another. Yeah. The NFL. And the other game, too, I can go to the San Francisco Philly game on that same play, too. Yeah, yeah. But but let's just stick with this because, uh, and, and this was shocking to me when I heard this. The NFL is actually registered as an entertainment company, not a sports league, an entertainment company. So I'm wondering if, you know, rigging games, and I'm not, look. I know not all games are like that. Some games are really, really uh, officiated the right way. But some games, you can tell who the NFL wants to win that game. The NFL wanted the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. The NFL wanted Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, period. I wouldn't go that far. But But why? Why? What makes you say that? Because if the NFL is registered as... The game would be lost. The integrity of the game... And that's the thing. Like you have to like let's go back. Like the history of game, the history of sport requires a degree of fairness on the playing field, the sporting field, the play the the environment to which sport is taking place. That is what sport is. That is one thing. Number 2, an element of human error. Sport always will require a level of human error. And coaching officials all of the outside um, factors besides the players that are playing the game or the player that's playing the game will be, will be considered as an independent or a, sorry, a dependent variable. It is always the case, whether you, when you study sport, those two things are always a factor. The level of human error, and the degree of fairness towards both sides. I mean, it, it, it's just, you know, it's just, it's hard to talk about that when you consider the level of com- competition and the level of degree of the, the heightness of this game, both games. It Really, really. And we'll get to the other game in a second, but you kind of... Did you know that they were registered as a as a uh, entertainment company? Did you? I, you know what, brother? It's entertain. I think it's entertainment company because it's considered. I don't know why. I I, I didn't know that. No. I mean, yeah. Well, I don't know it is the big five in North America. If all of them are registered as entertainment companies or leagues, I don't know. I think the NHL is the league. I don't think it's an entertainment company. No. But um, that's interesting. That the NFL is like that. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, so the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> they, uh, I mean, Mahomes. He's unbelievable, though. I'll give him that. He's he's one of those guys where, you know, bad ankle or not, he looked pretty damn good. I mean, yes, he was hobbling a little bit, but he did make plays happen when he had to. He had Travis Kelsey. I was a little bit about a little bit worried about Travis Kelsey going into this game because of his back issue. Apparently he was fine, and he showed it. <laughs> and th- that touchdown where the defender hit him in the back, I'm like, oh man, don't don't get hurt, don't get hurt. But yep, it was a uh, it was a fun game to watch from a Kansas City point of view. I mean, 
we talked the week before about Superman versus Superman. And the one guy that was the most injured of the four quarterbacks shows up to be everything but without a cape. And coming coming out of that game, you got to wonder who's more injured, Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow. I mean, look at how many times he got sacked in that game. He was sacked look three at, times in the first two drops. Yeah, that's, that's, and on top of that, Theo, those three sacks are on three dropbacks. Yeah. Three in a row. I mean, yeah. that's <laughs> – Well, I mean – you know, the Chris same Jones, offensive Chris Jones line. Played. Hey, Chris the Jones same... did his thing. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but no. the same offensive line, Theo, that protected Joe Burrow last week didn't do shit for him this week. If you watched, they, they um, the Kansas City Chiefs, Spags did a really good job by focusing on half of a line versus the whole line. That was the big difference between this week's game versus the game before that um what he did he also he's also dealing with a defender in chris jones and you know a secondary that's a lot more lively covering the bengals wide receivers but three three dropbacks three sacks um hey he's got some bruises no one's 100 percent. this is game 19 game 20 and this is you know this is why the nfl is only 17 games long not 82 you know it's a it's a little more it's it's a rough game i'm not gonna say it's rougher than hockey but it's a rough game for these guys you know and uh yeah everyone's not 100 percent. but the bottom like you had chris jones on the defensive side who was a beast you had just the last thing i want to say patrick mahomes you know he he supplied 92 percent of the chiefs offense passing the ball and running. I don't think I've ever heard of that stat before in an NFL game or playoff game ever. I'll leave it at that. Yep. So, Chiefs against the Eagles. And this game is, this game was between the Eagles and 49ers mismatch. At least after Brock Purdy got hurt, Brock Purdy, as it as it's known now, has a torn, a completely torn UCL, and it's tough losing your three, number three and number four quarterbacks. Isn't that just incredible? Like you're in the NFC, you're in a championship NFC championship game with your third and your fourth quarterback, and I'm not going to knock the player, the 53 man roster that was playing. I'm going to knock. The administration. I'm going to knock the guys the that put the guys on the field. You're week, what is it? Week 10, week 11. This guy named Brock Purdy, who's never thrown a game, never thrown a pass in the NFL, is your starting quarterback going against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He wins. Where was your game plan if Brock Purdy ever got injured? Or only had a one and done. You're going to play Josh Johnson for the rest well, of the Well, Theo, I mean, you didn't really have you didn't really have another resort unless you wanted to play that's Christian what, McCaffrey. That's what I'm saying. But, but, Where is your backup plan? Was your backup plan was a guy who's a 15 year vet who's played in 13 different teams, who's hasn't thrown 100 passes in the league, and has had now two stints with the 49ers. He's your second guy, your fourth guy. He's your backup plan if Brock Purdy doesn't work? 
Come on. It was man. either that or Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> Come on, man. Like, here's like that's that is the part that nobody is talking about. Like, if not even Kyle Shanahan. Okay. Like, hey, your boy up in the booth, the owner. Hey, what if Brock Purdy got injured in week 11 or week 12? You're going to throw this other guy in there? Not to say that he's not a, he's a, he's a professional football player. But you're in the NFC Championship game. And he knew by then you probably would be there. You've got every single skilled position. You've got a McCaffrey. You've got a Kittle who's second to Kelsey. You've got a Debo who showed up and showed up again and again in the last part of that season when he was healthy. You've got Ayuk and you've got another speedster in the Niners. You've got a tremendous defense, probably the second best defense in the NFL. In an offensive line protecting Brock Purdy, whoever's playing quarterback the entire season. You're on in a 10 or 11 game winning streak. Yes, all things go great, but Brock Purdy goes three for three and then blows, blows his UCL. I mean, where's the backup plan? Like, where's the backup? Christian McCann, and, and you, you know, right then and there, once he's done, I mean, feel bad for Johnson. I mean, next drive, you have a minute and 20 left in the second quarter and you throw a, and you cough up a fumble on a shotgun snap that goes right in your hands. I mean, I feel bad for the guy. No comp. Like he was done by that. He, and he was done the next play because he got concussed. You know, it's just so, I mean, Kittle said it best. This was not the 49er team that could show up, that could show up and give the Eagles a good game. That was the problem. Don't take anything away from the Eagles. The Eagles were the best team in the NFC. Best record, best defense, RPO option like a mother, phenomenal wideouts. Jalen Hurts will probably win MVP. But San Francisco just did not have a team to give them any type of competition in that championship game, which, I mean, I'll be honest with you, Joe, I turned it off after the half. I didn't even watch the second half. It was over. 21-7, I knew it was over. Yeah, it was over. Um, Chiefs and um, Eagles, I don't know if I want to make this pick yet. I mean, I told you my pick already. Week. You want to wait till next week because why? why make a pick two weeks out? Well, I mean, we, we don't know the injury reports. We don't know who's going yeah, to that's, we know who's that's why. Already. That's why we wait. That's why that's we wait. True. Also, um, the betting like the betting odds in this game is going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, the Chiefs were favored by or no wait. Eagles were favored by Chief, two yesterday. By two, and then uh, I think the Chiefs weren't they by one or something like that. It's it, going back and forth. It's, a, it, it's basically going to be a pick em game until next week, so let's just wait. Let's not pull a Drake and put a million dollars on the line somewhere and hope to God they win. Yeah. D- yeah. Well, let's not do that. <laughs> so, Theo, uh, one more thing I want to get to. 
the Los Angeles Chargers have a new offensive coordinator that just got fired from the Dallas Cowboys, and I don't know if I like this. Kellen Moore is your new offensive coordinator, and why? Um, maybe a, a former quarterback in that position could do Justin Herbert some good, but other than that, the fact that Brandon Staley still has his job, and we've said this after they lost their playoff game, it... What the hell is your owner thinking? Like, what, uh, well, that's it's like that's you're going backwards, and you're and you're gonna waste, was... you're gonna waste Herbert's career. Well, I don't know. I mean, Brandon Staley basically saved his job by sell, telling you know, selling the owners the idea of getting rid of coordinators instead of him. I mean, Brandon, the offense whether it be Lombardi or whether it be Staley, coaching philosophy offensively by winning games by field goals instead of winning by 10, I've never been a fan of. Never. Brandon Staley, as we all know, has been a defensive coordinator before he became a coach. He's supposed to be the defensive guru. Well, we had a tremendous defense put together for him. The owner went out and bought a defense. And they still... They, they gave up 31 points in the final game in the second half. Now, granted, some of that was special teams too, but still. Now, let's talk about Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore has had three really good seasons with the Cowboys. The one he didn't have a good season with was when Dak was injured for over 11 games. His offense has always been ranked either top five Two of the three seasons, and top 10 in the other one. He has always had a good running game, which Austin Eckler is. He's, I think he has a better throwing quarterback in Herbert as opposed to Dak Prescott. And I also think if the Los Angeles Chargers can solidify their wideouts, including um, Williams, Jackson, and Keenan, um, I think... The weapons and Eckler and the weapons surrounding Herbert, this offense could go could even get better. Uh, yeah, I I just hope the running game gets better because I just saw Herbert. I think he passed a lot more than he ran, <laughs> a lot more. And I was talking to somebody after their playoff game. They ran fifty something plays in the second half, like half of those. We're we're pass plays. You can't be yeah. doing that. You can't you can't do that, and expect to win. Well, you want a good balance. I mean, if your if your running game is getting you between a hundred and a hundred and twenty a game, that's pretty much the norm right now for an NFL team. One hundred and forty. What was I don't know what the average was for run, winning games, but I think it's around one hundred and twenty yards per game. When you have a running back or a running game that's getting you that much, that's showing you a pretty balanced attack. Usually two to one. Throw for 240, 250, run for a buck 20. You've got time of possession. You've got to win. Yep. Yeah. You know, easier said than done, though, right? Pretty simple thing to do. Well, easier said than done, right? Well, clearly. Because not I mean, many, 
clearly not many coordinators or coaches see it that way. And it, it amazes me. Um, there was a video game. I think it was NHL or NFL or Madden 25. Basically, Phil Sims, who was in that game, basically said, it's a passing league. Well, it is a passing league. And you're not seeing the half and half like you would maybe in the years past. Right. So, but, I mean, tell him the fact that he got – like from the reports with Dallas, I mean, whatever Dallas does, Mike McCarthy is done after next year if they don't make it to the championship. Simple as that. Uh, Brandon Staley, like I said, shouldn't be coaching the Chargers, but you can't replace him unless you've got Sean Payton in the wings already. And Kellen Moore was a quick hire because they saw what he did in Dallas. And I guess the Chargers front office feel that he wasn't the problem with the Dallas Cowboys, he was actually a potential solution for the LA Chargers. And sorry to go on I mean, the Cowboy. Go ahead. Yeah, it's just I kind of it's 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 a wait and see. Like I still think unless you chop the head off the snake, it's still gonna come back and bite you, right? Brandon right. Staley is the issue. It's not Kellen Moore. It's not the defense. Well, it, but it's from the top. That's what I'm saying. Kellen Kellen Moore should provide a spark to this offense to see it move even better. But Brandon Staley still is the ultimate head coach and he is the one in position and he needs to answer for his actions. He does. He does. Now the Cowboys don't get me started on the Cowboys. I've talked about this before. I'm just going to let it go there. (laughs) Um, Seeing Stephen A. Actually, I haven't watched that clip yet where he went off on the Cowboys after that game. I probably need to look that up. But um, before we go today, uh, do you have any shout outs? Shout out to, uh, I mean, I'm not going to go into this person's personal life. I'm only going to talk about his life on the ice and what he did for this great game you and I both love. Uh, You know, the passing of Bobby Hall yesterday was certainly a solemn feeling around uh, Canada Life Center. He was the original Winnipeg Jet. He was the Golden Jet, hands down. Um, He was what Winnipeg on the map, a tremendous acquisition for the WHA Jets back in the day, back in 1972. I actually remember, Joey, believe it or not, when I was about 12 or 13 years old, I did a school project. We were allowed to pick one part of history in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and I decided to talk about the first million-dollar man, and that was Bobby Hall, because on paper, he was the first gentleman in WHA NHL history who had a $1 million contract. This is before you had NIL, all that other stuff, and promos and this and that. He was paid. And he played with some great players in Chicago, great players in Winnipeg. Trophies, the heart, the scoring titles, the championship with Stan Makita. The hardest shot ever recorded or could have been ever recorded at 117 miles an hour. Seeing Bobby Hall in his heyday. Seeing Bobby Hall when his jersey was retired in Winnipeg and then seeing him when he was probably in his latter years of life, uh, the guy was the guy was a the he was a tremendous hockey player. And I'll leave it at that. And uh, yeah. Very well put. Very well put. Um, 
so that that was kind of cool. They had a they had a moment of silence, basically talked about his career before, and I'm glad the singles feed carried that. I am so glad the singles feed carried that. Well, they were going to anyway. I mean, that's Brett Hall's father. They're go, you know, but still, that's that was a fun tribute to watch. That's for sure, and uh, you know. I hope I would hope I would think the Chicago Blackhawks do something because I only remember them with the Blackhawks just because you know I have these old hockey uh, hockey reference magazines. Remember the old ones, Theo, that had the yeah. colorful art on the front, or no Hockey Digest, Hockey Digest. Um, it shows a bunch of WHA history. I need to read into some of that because I think it's I think it's cool. And it's interesting to see how the WHA went down and the NHL still remains. Yeah, it was, I mean, think of it as like, uh, you know, I'll do a wrestling reference for you. When WCW brought in Hogan and stole Hogan from WWE and Bischoff was like, sweet, we got the guy. Well, it's 72, you had Bobby Hall. You had Gordy Howe. You had guys like that going to play in the WHA. And these teams eventually were amalgamated and brought into the National Hockey League uh, because the NHL just had a the NHL just had a better buying power. They had a better avenue for marketing, more of an audience. And uh, the WHA wanted to make a little mark, so they did. And, uh, you know, it was uh, some pretty good hockey being played here in Winnipeg Arena back in the day. Some good players. I mean, granted, Gretzky played there too. I mean, the Oil, the Edmonton Oilers were a WHA team before they joined the NHL. So interesting stuff, nonetheless. Interesting stuff. Thank you guys for watching this week, listening. Where you can find us wherever you get your podcast. It will probably be up by tomorrow. For Theo, I'm Joe. Have a good week, everybody, and we'll see you with our Super Bowl pick next week.